Welcome back to the Goal Set Mindset Podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Zach Long to discuss growing the barbell physio, his leadership in blending strength and conditioning with rehab, and why taking people back to baseline simply isn't enough. Zach is a physical therapist, educator, and coach who has helped tens of thousands of people optimize and understand performance through his courses, social media content, and fitness programming. We discuss strategies for building true tissue resilience, how to effectively dose exercise, and how much emphasis we should be placing on lifting technique, and so much more. This conversation is jam-packed with a leader who I look up to tremendously. Enjoy this one with Zach Long. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Zach, thank you so much for coming on the show. No problem. Been looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm so pumped to have you here. This is like a total full circle moment for me because when I created this podcast and made a list of uh, dream guests to have on, so to speak, you were at the top of that list. And one of the first people who really got me inspired to learn how to combine strength and conditioning and physical therapy. Um, So really, really cool to chat with you tonight. That means a lot. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So if we can kind of just get going with you introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about what you do. Yep. So I'm a physical therapist, started out working in strength and conditioning and uh, then went to physical therapy school. And I'm fortunate enough to be in a situation now where I kind of get to blend both of those worlds together. I primarily work with CrossFitters and powerlifters and Olympic lifters and basically just help barbell athletes keep doing the things they love and perform a little bit better at it as well. Yeah. Awesome to hear. And so cool to see how much you've evolved in getting involved, um, not just as a clinician, but also in the education space. And of course, on social media, it's like everybody I know in the space follows you and appreciates your content. So super cool um, to have witnessed you in different facets and um, kind of just spreading this message of like, how can we best serve this population? Yeah, it's still weird to see that this many people listen to me in some way, form or fashion. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of them out there. I know you know that, but um, even today in the clinic, so my uh, PT company that I work for, we're actually inside of a CrossFit gym as well and um, talking to patients, you know, what's going on this week. And I mentioned to a few of them that I was chatting with you tonight and everybody's like, oh, cool. I follow him. That's awesome. So cool to hear. Um, Now, Zach, taking it back to the beginning, I would love to just ask you a little bit about like where the barbell physio was born from, kind of what your motivation was for launching it. Yeah. So back when I was in PT school, there were a couple of physical therapists that started blogging and were using that as a different way to um, create revenue for themselves and differentiate themselves in the market. And I was somebody that was always just reading more research. I was reading more research articles than I was studying my notes, preparing for exams in school. So I didn't have the best PT school grades because I didn't study that stuff. Um, But just reading all this different material, I wanted to figure out how do I kind of keep track with all the stuff that I'm reading and ideas that I had. So I started blogging when I was in physical therapy school um, and knew that long term I wanted to do that as a way to let me do whatever I wanted with my career. So I started blogging that turned into me writing for CrossFit Journal. And then my at this time, like I, I had a flip phone. And I know I'm older than you, but like flip, nobody had flip phones when I was in physical therapy school, even though I've been out of PT school for a while now. Um, but I was just like the least technology savvy person you've ever met. 
Um, so I didn't have social media or anything like that. But my sister basically said, look, if people are reading what you're putting out there on CrossFit Journal, they would like what you do on social media as well. So she started talking to me about this Instagram thing. And I had no idea what Instagram is, but she got me on it. And um, from there, just continuing to put out my thoughts and ideas just happened to grow and take off. And I'm fortunately really stubborn and I've stuck with it for a really long time now. So I've probably had my website for at least a decade now. Nice. That's awesome. And that's what it's all about is consistency. And it's so funny you mentioned that when I was in undergrad, I think like junior or senior year was where I really started to realize um, how much I loved human performance and exercise science and all of these things and started to find some Instagram accounts. Um, and you were one of the first ones that I found. And at the time I was following, you know, these accounts just for my personal Instagram, where I was posting pictures of me in college and stuff like that. And all of a sudden I was like, you know what, I want to start like commenting on things and and reaching out to these people. And that's where my Instagram account was born from goal set mindset, because I wanted to create this other page. And like, literally, I think you were the first person that I press follow on. I'm like, this, this is the kind of people that I want to follow and connect with. So um, cool to hear. And the other thing I love that you're involved in, um, Zach, is following the work of Onward and everything that the crew there is doing. And one of the taglines that I heard that ever since I heard it has resonated with me is that back to baseline is bullshit. Yeah. So I want to dive into that a little bit because as physical therapists, I'm fresh out of school and we were taught about just taking patients back to back to baseline. So can you talk a little bit about why striving to return to baseline is just simply not enough? Yeah. So the simple way of saying it is that the person that was your baseline, that person got hurt. So why do we want to get you back to that baseline? We got to think about it a little bit more in depth. So let's take a, a runner that develops Achilles tendinopathy. That is that Achilles tendon being overloaded. We asked that Achilles tendon to do more than it was prepared for. So if we calm down those symptoms and we get them pain-free, but we don't build them up beyond where they were prior to it getting hurt, then as soon as they start to bump their mileage back up again, they're going to be back in the same situation. So we have to set goals of going beyond where they were if we want to have them strong enough that that they are dramatically less likely to get injured. Yeah, again. yeah, definitely. And I love that you mentioned like a specific example of that because one of the toughest things that I've seen navigating conversations with patients is um, this whole idea of overuse injuries. and. Yeah it's hard when we put that label on because people think all of people's um, minds go to overtraining, right? Like, Oh, I have this Achilles issue. I'm doing too much, but it's like, clearly the rest of your body's handling it pretty well. Right. It's like that, that one area that just isn't strong enough. So um, yeah, I think it's important to be able to break that down. And I think one of the limitations in general is just like that, the healthcare system, unfortunately, isn't really set up for us in the healthcare model to really take patients beyond baseline. It's a hard pill to swallow. Can you just speak a little bit about like some of the limitations that you faced or that you think that PTs face with taking patients beyond this point? Yeah. So I'm fortunate right now that I'm in a completely out of network setting. So I don't operate under the typical constraints that help most healthcare professionals do. So I'm fortunate with that now, but previously for sure, that's been a giant issue when somebody has come to see me for shoulder pain with kipping pull-ups um, when I was in an insurance-based model, 
and I'm writing out goals and then you every now and then get audited by an insurance company and they start asking about like, what are you working towards? And you start talking about these higher level skills and you'll have the auditor say, oh, no, no, that person's policy does not cover this type of stuff. Like their insurance policy, their PT is for them to be able to walk to and from their car, get to work, go to the bathroom, those sorts of things. So it's for sure a struggle from a reimbursement standpoint to work on some of those higher level stuff. Um, but just as big of a hurdle to that is just the simple fact that that so many people within the medical profession are just not prepared for moving beyond baseline, calming some fires down a little bit. We don't know how to make tissues more robust and resilient. We don't know how to make people uh, fitter, stronger, harder to kill, those sorts of things. Um, so it's it's we're getting fought in two different areas there. Yeah, definitely. And um, like I said, fresh out of school myself, I definitely resonate with that, that it's like, like people are very quick, of course, to kind of blame the model of PT school and say like, oh man, how are we not being taught about loading principles and all these things? But it's also like, hey, there's a lot of stuff on that boards exam, most of which isn't really relevant in the day to day, but they've got a lot to pack into three years. So it's, it's a tricky balance. So like, what would your piece of advice be to a young clinician or to somebody who wants to really get a better understanding of um, how to make that transition? Like, where should they look to? Man, I'm going to give a bad answer here, but I believe very much in leveraging your strengths as much as you can and outsourcing your weaknesses. So I'm somebody, but you also can't have weaknesses so big that they like hold you back from pull your strengths back. So um, let me explain that better. In physical therapy school, I knew that I wanted to be a sports physical therapist. So I did not put forth a great effort in my peds class, in my neuro class and stroke rehab and all of that stuff, because that was not what I was going to do. Thank God I got a job in ortho straight out of school or I would have been in a really horrible situation there. But I think um, figure out the things that, that make you come alive, make you excited to wake up and go to work, make you excited to study and go all in on those stuff. Now, make sure you still have your prerequisites if you have to have a certain amount of neuro knowledge and things like that on board. But um, I'd rather more people find that thing that they just can't wait to learn more about and go really hard and deep in that area and develop an expertise in that and ignore everything else. Love that. And hey, you know, <laughs> it is good advice. You're right. I mean, yeah. professors listening might cringe, but um, it's true. I actually had a similar conversation a few weeks back with a... Uh, entrepreneur. She's the CEO of a a kickboxing chain. And we were talking more from an entrepreneurial perspective um, about personal growth. And she said the same thing, like figure out what lights your soul on fire, what excites you, what makes you want to get up and get to work, do more of that. And once you have the opportunity, find people, find services to help you do the shit that you just aren't as good at or don't like as much. Um, and yeah, yeah, I think if a lot of us just approached life that way, like we'd be a lot more happy and successful. Yeah. I mean, I've run my businesses that same way. Like, um, I, I own three different businesses and all of those, I focus on the things that I'm really good at. I bring up the things that I'm bad at that would hold me back from developing my strengths even more. But if there are things that, that wouldn't let me continue to leverage my strengths, but they're a weakness, I'm going to outsource that as soon as I can. Um, and the same thing goes for the gym too. Like if you think about somebody's 
like your lifts, like if your glutes are holding back your squat or your quads are holding back your squat, but like the other one has the natural tendency to grow and develop faster. Like let's just say you were born with like giant strong glutes, but your quads hold your squat back. Well, squat in a way that leverages your glute strength more, but also bring that weakness up with the quads, but don't completely stop training your glutes to put all your volume on the quads, leverage that strength. Mm, I like that. I like that analogy. And another thing that's coming to mind, Zach, with this idea of bringing humans beyond baseline, getting them better than they were before, I also think about how empowering that can be, especially to a person who walks into the clinic or meets you for the first time and genuinely thinks that they can't get beyond that point. Like, have you had moments where you've seen a person just totally transform in their confidence because it's like, hey, we're not trying to just get you back. Like, you're actually capable of more, you know, like what is that interaction like? Yeah. The best example of that I have is a, a treated a 15 year old girl that came to me after a diagnosis of a disc herniation. Uh, for some reason, a doctor gave an MRI to a 15 year old girl with back pain. And I actually saw her about two years after that MRI. And even though she'd gotten out of the flare up, she was scared because when she would sit for two hours in class, her back would get achy. And I'm like, well, when my back, you know, aches, if I sit for two hours too, like that's a completely normal thing. Um, but with her, we got her deadlifting and progressed her through um, a plan of care that focused pretty much solely around the deadlift. Started with, you know, I'm really big on like, we need to load a movement heavy enough that it creates true adaptive changes in the body, but it's not just about true adaptive change in the body, it's adaptive changes in the mind as well. So in her first visit, uh, I remember we only worked up to a 35 pound kettlebell and I asked her like an RPE scale, I said on a zero to 10 scale, how tough was that? And she was like a three. I was like, oh, okay. So in my mind, I'm thinking like, we could go a lot heavier than this. But then I stopped for a second. I said, well, on a scale of zero to 10, how confident are you that you're not going to have a back flare up as a result of this? So if she said 10, then I would load it up heavier. Well, she came in and she said a four. And so she had a lot of worry that even that 35 pound kettlebell was going to flare her up. So what did we do? I stopped. Not because I didn't realize that it wasn't creating an adaptive change in her body, but I didn't want to push it to a point where we actually created a flare up in that early session where I'm trying to get buy-in on her body being more robust. So we stopped with that being the goal in mind. And then over the course of the next couple of months, we built that up and actually just got a message from her about two months ago. She's applying to physical therapy school after that. So that, How was, awesome. that was pretty cool. Got to jump on a phone call with her and talk to her about applying to PT school, where to go, what to look at when she's in school. Yeah, that was that was a pretty cool day. Really cool. So awesome. And yeah, that's a good point too of like as much as we get excited, especially those of us who come from a strength and conditioning athletic background, like we wish we could take every person on the first day and just be like let's get after it. But yeah. we also need to respect that like people have different um mental barriers, different experiences, different fears and it's also important to kind of like intentionally underdose a little bit at times just to create that comfort around movement again right yeah i like the term intentionally underdose yeah i actually stole that from somebody in ice i think i, uh, I think it was dustin jones i think he did yes. a podcast on it yes um, i and i actually had dustin on the podcast he was the first ice pt i invited on oh, awesome. and uh he talked about that and that's exactly where i got it from so shout out to dustin <laughs> yeah it was better to intentionally underdose than to unintentionally underdose so at least, at least we have 
a shift in the profession towards more people understanding that we have chronically underdosed. Yeah. So it's cool 100%. that that's even a terminology because shoot, back when I graduated from physical therapy school, that wouldn't have been a, a thing people were thinking or talking about at all. Yeah. Well, that's another thing with you. You're in such a cool position where, um, you know, not just because of your following growing and your, your reach growing with your programming, but just seeing the shift of how people are approaching rehabilitation and you being a part of this, um, this front of physical therapists embodying this fitness forward culture. And now that I've, you know, consumed a lot of content from ice, taken a course and just gotten to know more people in the field. It's like, this is becoming a real thing. Like that must be so cool coming from somebody who thought all of this when nobody was really doing it. Right. It's been really cool to see the the impact that the, the entire ice community has been able to put on the profession so far. And, um, just looking at our, our numbers and growth over there on that continued education side, we're only getting started. It's blowing yeah. up more and more and more. We thought it was big two years ago. We thought it was big last year and it's not even 2023 and we have more courses booked next year than we had this year. So that community is blowing up. I'm very fortunate to be teamed up with so many uh, forward thinking physical therapists. Totally. Yeah. I admire all of you guys in that space. And I feel like every, every colleague that I'm interacting with now, ice gets brought up and I'm either telling them about it if they don't know about it. Um, and I'll be taking extremity management with Lindsay at Sweet. Onward Philly next month. Awesome. Um, I am so, so pumped to dive into that and get to hang out with the crew and it's awesome. But one thing that you mentioned, like on this top, on the topic of this, this underdosing, we know that it's a problem. And honestly, myself, like thinking about my clinical practice, even though I'm aware that underdosing is an issue and that we tend to do that, I catch myself doing it all the time. A lot of times, just because I don't really know, like, what is this human capable of? Yeah. And it's nice when you work with a fitness athlete who has percentages to tell you and maxes to tell you, but do you have any strategies for like how we can kind of assess capacity or readiness in an individual who doesn't have a lot of fitness experience? Yeah. So first of all, I still underdose people all the time, not even the, the intentional underdosing, like it's going to happen. I overdose people all the time as well. <laughs> so nobody's perfect in that. I think the the general thought I have is if somebody is already leading a fitness forward lifestyle, like they're already in CrossFit or a powerlift or whatever, um, when when I'm trying to load them up with a certain exercise, I can go ahead and take them up in terms of a zero to 10 RPE scale in terms of the difficulty of that exercise. I can start them pretty high on that as long as we're respecting tissue irritability. So if I want to strengthen this CrossFitter's um, glutes, then I could day one load them up with heavy hip thrusts and work up to three sets of whatever with a weight that's seven to eight out of 10 difficulty. And I'm going to be fine with that individual. Again, as long as like tissue irritability is, is okay, because they're used to training that muscle at high volumes, high frequencies, et cetera. But when it's somebody that's not getting that dose of fitness on the regular, I do tend to find myself starting a little bit lighter with their exercises and, and dosing down a little bit more early on. So a great example of that is um, my mom who does a little bit more endurance work than strength work, but she has uh, osteopenia. So I got her on the lift more trials. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, but the lift more trials been shown with um, postmenopausal women with low bone mass to help improve their function as well as their bone mineral density better than low load exercise. So she needed to lift heavy and the, the lift more trials, people deadlift back squat, uh, 
overhead press and do jumping chin-ups five by five at 75% or three by five at 80 to 85%. I forget the exact numbers, but anyways, it's heavy. But with my mom, she had never lifted heavy before. So I don't want to make my mom super sore. So we started out where, you know, typically that dosage I'd want to wait. It was seven or eight out of 10 difficulty. I started her out with a weight that she said was five out of 10 difficult. She did that for two sessions. Then we did a weight that was six out of 10. We did that for a few sessions, then sevens, then eights. So that we're slowly ramping that up, giving her time to adjust. Because the worst thing you can do from a patient rapport standpoint with some individuals is overdose them from the start, get them super sore, create tissue irritability that wasn't there before. So I do think a lot of times it's, it's smarter to start slower, start a little bit lower on that RPE scale, and then ramp up as they get a little bit used to it. It doesn't have to be that we're taking two months to ramp up to heavyweights, but getting three or four sessions in before we hit some heavier loading will do a lot towards creating um, the confidence in that person as well as letting their body adapt a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. And I think that applies to everybody in fitness in general. Like, of course, in the rehab space, it's especially important because of tissue irritability and the person's likely coming because of being in pain. Um, But also like, I think one of the biggest barriers, I know one of the biggest barriers from talking to patients who haven't been physically active regularly for a while um, is like, they're afraid of getting hurt. They're afraid of being too sore. They're afraid of overdoing it. So telling that person like, Hey, if you go to the gym and start with lighter stuff, like that's still effective. Like you're still Mm -hmm. on the right path. So, and I think people feel like they need to go in the gym and and kill themselves right off the bat. Um, And yeah, like it's, it's that same approach. It's like start somewhere and then just kind of gradually load over time. Right. Yeah. And a lot of those people just early on getting started, the intensity doesn't matter that much. What's more, what matters more is that they're setting the habit that they're making this become part of their lifestyle. And so I'd rather people actually, you know, and those people creating a a more fitness for lifestyle, I'd rather them probably start a little bit lower to gain momentum long-term than come out of the gates a little too hot. Yeah, 100%. And going back to the example that you gave before, so just to get a little bit of a better understanding of how you're using this, this RPE scale. So let's say working with a CrossFitter, you want to hit glutes, maybe you you choose a hip thrust as an exercise or something. How are you going to go about assessing that, that seven to eight RPE? So like, are you going to pick a weight that you think will be appropriate? Tell them, Hey, I want you to do 15 reps and then ask them how hard is it? Or like, what variables are you playing around with there? Does that make sense? Yeah. So let's say we're, we're doing hip thrusts that we throw 135 on the bar and I have them hit a set of five. And I just asked them at the end, zero to 10, how hard was that? That was a three. Okay. We throw it up to 185. 185 was a five. We keep building up till we get to a weight that's sitting around a seven or eight out of 10 at the end of that set. So if they're seven to eight out of 10, they're two or three reps shy of failure. That means we're in a good rep range to create strength or hypertrophy changes by being, you know, in that proximity to failure. We don't have to go all the way up to 10 out of 10 failure to, um, to get strength and hypertrophy changes with ind- individuals. Um, so leaving a little bit in the tank can be good at times. Then a lot of times we kind of double check that as well, though. I mean, it's, this isn't every session, but certainly every few sessions we'll throw in like an AMRAP set. We do your last set and we see how many total reps you can go. So let's say we program three sets of 10. We found a weight that they said was seven to eight out of 10. And we get to that last set and they hit rep 10. And you're like, how hard was that? And they're like, oh, that was an eight. Okay, show me how many more reps you could do now. 
And if they were really an eight out of 10, an eight out of 10 RPE is, um, means basically two reps in reserve. So if they go and hit 12 reps, then we know, yeah, they were right on track for what they thought in terms of their RPE. But if they crank out a set of 15 or 20, then we know that we were underdosing that quite a bit. So those AMRAP sets become a great way to have kind of checks and balances in terms of where we are in our loading. Yeah, love that. That reminds me of, um, I hopped on a virtual ice call with Chris Hinshaw a couple of weeks back, mm -hmm. and he discussed that principle as well with kind of gauging um, with certain clients that he's working with, like doing some kind of um, EMOM type of setup and like on that last round, say, let's push it. And a lot of times people will be able to show themselves how much more they're capable of, which I think is cool too. And I know a lot of you at, at ICE and Onward talk about this, that like patients don't need more education, they need more inspiration. And yeah. sometimes that inspiration comes from a patient surprising themselves 100%. being like, holy crap. And I mean, I had a moment like that um, yesterday. So one thing I've been working on in my personal fitness is um, learning how to do a pull-up. And it's been forever. I can't do one. I'm all in my head about it, doing the negatives, doing the toe assisted, some of your stuff too. And then yesterday I was talking to the owner of the CrossFit gym that I work inside of. Um, and he was making a joke at me about, oh, how are your muscle ups looking? I'm like, hey, I can't even do a pull up yet. It's going to be a bit. He's like, bullshit, you can't get on the bar right now. He's like, just do it. And I was like, okay. And I like, didn't think about it. And I just did it. And I was like, Clayton, what, what, the, what was that? What just happened? And he's like, Julie, like you can't, and it's true. It's like when we're approaching fitness and so many of us are guilty of it. Like you think about it and you get yourself down. You're like, Oh, I'm scared. I'm going to hurt myself. Sometimes you just need to have that moment where it's like, wow. And then from my standpoint, I do that. And now I think where else am I holding myself back? What yeah. else am I capable of? And that's another reason that I love this idea of taking people beyond baseline because let's say glute strength is the focus at one point as you work with this human, then you might uncover, Oh, can we improve your, your aerobic fitness too? Um, can we improve your upper body strength? And you get to go down these, all these different avenues and just create as much robustness as possible. Yeah. So your, your thing there, um, first of all, like the very few things an athlete can accomplish. It gets me as excited as seeing somebody get their first pull-up. Like I, I love it. I can still feel the get, smile so. on my face when I did it. And I'm, and I was just like, Oh my God, what just happened? <laughs> it yeah. was really cool. Big congratulations on that. Thank but you. it reminds me that I keep seeing all these people on social media lately doing like trash bag lifting where they don't see the weight on the bar and their buddies rack weight on and they put a trash bag over it and they just keep increasing the weight for people that have these mental barriers to their strength. Like if they, you know, if they're stuck just shy of a 500 pound deadlift for a long time, then they just have their training buddies start loading the bar up for them and never telling them how much weight's in the bar, which is hilarious. Because, that is, you know, a lot of times we do hold ourselves <laughs> back. Yeah, that is really cool. I like that. And especially thinking of a population that I love serving that I'm um, really gravitating towards right now is my, my adult women clientele you know, between the age of like 30 to 55 um, and all of them, man, not to like stereotype most women in that age group, they're just so um, non-confident in like what their bodies are capable yep. of. Right. And so I love that idea of, and sometimes I'll do that with like pick up the kettlebell and you know, the it's in, it's in kilos and it's like etched in. So you don't know how yep. much it is. How much is that Julie? Don't worry about it. Pick it up. 
oh, wow, that was 53 pounds. Oh my God, no way. Um, So sometimes you got to have those moments. Of course, safety is a key, but um, yeah, I think that like having those moments where the person sees for themselves creates that sense of self-efficacy that opens the door to like so many new possibilities really gets me fired up. Yep. So another thing I want to discuss with you, Zach, as we kind of wrap up here, um, big hot topic right now, which is kind of funny is lifting technique. Are we going to talk about liver King? Okay. (laughs) Liver King is another one, man. (laughs) I, I listened to a podcast he was on recently and, uh, yeah, it's, isn't it funny how like one human being can just completely take over the internet in like, Oh yeah, that was hilarious. Like it it really makes you wonder. Um, anyway, we're going to talk about lifting technique, similar to liver King. Um, (laughs) there's so much stuff now. I feel like I scroll through my feed and I'll see an exercise about how awesome or a, a post, excuse me, um, about how awesome the Jefferson curl can be as a tool to improving capacity and, and, blah, blah, blah. And then I scroll a little further and it's like, don't do this exercise. You can't round your back. And I'm just like, as a, as an athlete, as a young clinician, as a coach, my brain is all over the place. So can you kind of just give your thoughts on like, of course, there's a time in the, and a place for lifting technique. Where do you kind of stand on all of that? Biomechanics certainly matter when it comes to moving maximal loads or moving as fast as possible. So let's take a deadlift versus a straight leg deadlift. A straight leg deadlift is an inefficient deadlift. Like it's just not as good a position. That's why nobody straight leg deadlifts as much as they could deadlift. So it really depends on your goals. If you want to move maximal load, then you want to get in best possible position to move that maximal loads. But there are certainly times and places to do movements where we get out of optimal positioning. So if we take that deadlift, and we completely straighten our knees out. Now we do a deadlift with straight legs. Now it becomes an exercise that's going to absolutely crush your hamstrings, which can be a good thing or a different variation of that same argument would be a good morning. A good morning is a horribly inefficient position to be in to move really heavy loads. You've got that bar sitting way out in front of your feet, very far from your hip joint, biomechanically inefficient, but that is going to build a really strong low back and posterior chain. So there's a time and a place for everything. If we we go into the Jefferson curl perspective, you know, there's the Jefferson curl is a great way to get a loaded stretch in the low back. A lot of people have really stiff lumbar spines and deflection. I don't think it's very easy to take uh, uh, area of the body that's so strong and big and tons of ligaments, tons of muscles. You're not just going to sit there and like pull your knees to your chest and have that be uh, a sufficient of an intensity of a stretch to open up lumbar spine flexion in somebody that's truly stiff. I think we need a little bit of external load to help creep those tissues a little bit more. And that's where I use things like Jefferson curls, but I for sure am not on the, there are bad and good exercises. I think there are a lot of times ways to better isolate or better target the areas that people are, are trying to hit than others. But um, people need to be a little bit more open-minded in terms of when they use certain exercises and don't use certain exercises because everything has its own time and place. Yeah, definitely. And I think nowadays, a lot of people just like to talk in absolutes. And like when it comes to the human body, it's really hard to be absolutely sure about anything. Um, Besides it, fitness is just going to improve every aspect of your life. But 
Yeah, I hear you. And one thing that I've given a lot of thought to um, as an athlete and therapist is just always coming back to like, what's the intention here? Like, what is the goal? Um, And that helps me really think through my reasoning with exercises. It's like, is this a person who is trying to lift as much weight as they can? Is it a CrossFitter working on like improving their, their back squat load that they can handle? Like you said, focusing in on mechanics is going to be helpful. Um, But if I take the example before of my women who are just a little nervous, lack some confidence around the gym, have never had a barbell on their back. I'm also learning, Zach, how empowering that piece of equipment is, a barbell. Like you just get that on somebody's back for the first time and they squat and they're like, wow, (laughs) that was so cool. So with that person, um, I'm not going to go all crazy about, oh, where are your knees? And oh, your heels lifting up a little bit. And are you rounding? Um, Because it's more just building their tolerance to doing that, building their confidence in doing that, you know? Yeah. So one question that gets asked all the time when I'm teaching courses is how much time do you spend on people's technique? If they've never done these movements, how much time do you spend working on technique prior to loading it up? And the truth is that I don't, I I emphasize technique early on a lot less than people would think that I do. Because if I'm teaching somebody to deadlift as part of their low back pain rehab program, and they've never deadlifted before, even though those first few days might not look like the prettiest deadlift, don't get me wrong, I've given them some cues and stuff, but it's not looking near technically as efficient as my deadlifts do as somebody that's been deadlifting for 20 years now. But in those early stages, even when their technique's not great, are they putting enough load on that body, on that bar, that they're going to break down their body? No. Sally's deadlifting 55, 75 pounds, maybe 95 pounds, those first sessions or two. Those aren't loads that are heavy enough that we're going to mess up some tissue. Now, each session as that weight goes up, we're adding one or two more cues to what she's doing in her technique. So that by the time a few weeks down the road, when she's pulling 135 or 185 or whatever it is, she now has a technically much better deadlift from the start. But um, another thing you said that I really like is just kind of that badass effect that people get from a barbell. Like I've, I've never seen somebody get up from a plank or from a clamshell or a glute bridge and just stand up and like all of a sudden their chest is like puffed out a little bit more. Their arms are out to the side. Like they got imaginary lat syndrome all of a sudden. Like nobody got up from those movements and felt like a badass. But I've seen a hundred people, a thousand people perform a deadlift, get to the top, drop the bar down. You hear that weight crash. And then boom, they are just pumped up. They are a different human being than they were five seconds before that lift. And I've seen that happen so many times. Hell yeah. It's really, it's becoming one of my favorite things in the world. And I'm sure that the joy from that is not ever going to go away. As I can see from you, how excited you still get about it. Yeah. And yeah, I love that you kind of walked through like the, those first couple sessions, you're not going to go crazy with technique and, um, it kind of reminds me of that same principle we spoke about earlier of like, if you have somebody who's novice in the weight room, um, lifting weights for the first time, you don't want to make them super sore because that can be overwhelming and potentially worrisome. And by the same token, if you throw so many cues at a person that can also be overwhelming, I do this all the time, like at least three patients a week. I'm like, shit. I just told them to do four things at once. And now they're looking at me like, 
what do you want me to do? Um, yeah. So it's a process. And again, it comes back to like, I think just the way that we're taught and maybe because we're so eager to help people, but like on practicals in school, we get graded on how in-depth can you explain what you're doing? And then again in the clinic and I'm like, damn, I'm talking too much. Yeah. And that can happen with people, right? Yeah, you certainly can talk too much. I mean, that's something that that I battle. And when I mentor people in the clinic, it's probably the thing I, I talk about the most is just saying less because people are only going to walk away remembering a few things. And I want to make sure that the words I use are going to be things that they really remember. But people are also coming to us, something that you kind of alluded to there is they're coming to us often with these long lists. They've seen three other people that have told them that, you know, their hamstrings are tight and their quadratus lumborum is tight and their glutes don't activate and their psoas is tight or just this laundry list of things leading to their problems. When we start teaching them these loaded movements, we can really easily overcue this to where they also start to think, well, crap, I also don't know how to lift. I don't know how to do this or I'm not coordinated. So I'd much would rather them leave saying, Zach only told me I need to do one or two things to my deadlift and said it looked pretty good today and use that to build a little bit more confidence, even though I didn't think it looked that great, but we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. I totally hear you. And um, yeah, one more story I'll tell you quick and then we'll start to wrap up. I have a patient right now. She's wonderful. 55 years old, has frozen shoulder. Um, so an orthopedic physician and it took, took her a long time to get in the door. So she's pretty stiff, but got a cortisone shot, feels a little bit better, comes in for her first PT session. Things go really well. Um, we connected well. And she told me this the other day. I've now been seeing her for two months. And she goes, you know, Julia, on the first day I went home and I told my son, who's an orthopedic doctor, all about you guys and, and how awesome it is and how I loved your energy and how it's inside of a functional fitness gym, a CrossFit gym. And I told her, I told my son how you said that maybe one day we can try some of that out together. And she goes, and then he told me, mom, you're 55. You can't do CrossFit. And she tells me this and she's like, so I just wanted to let you know, like he said that, but like, I don't know, like, I think I can do it. I'm like, Kim, when the time comes, you know, we'll show you. Um, (laughs) But it just, it's one of those things where you got to kind of just let it roll off. Um, but the other day I created, you know, you guys talk about remoms and stuff and I've tried to adapt that a bit. I had her doing like sprints on the echo bike, um, ring rows, and then like a downward dog stretch and she's doing the echo bike and the ring rows. And I'm like, Hey, Kim, just let you know, you just did like, (laughs) you just did a whole bunch of CrossFit today. And she was like, yeah, like really? And it's so awesome, Zach, because these patients walk through the CrossFit gym to get to us. And it's so much of that, like. I don't need to tell them how great it is. They're just looking and they're like, huh, what goes on over there? So now my girl Kim's going to hop into class with me at some point soon. Um, and yeah, it's just like you said, I can, I could have stood up and been like, that's bullshit. He's wrong. But it was just like, hold my beer. Let's do this. And now she's like super confident and uh, it makes it all worth it. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm honestly learning all this stuff from you guys. I'm so, so grateful for all the content and discussions that you all have around this. Um, So Zach, let's kind of wrap things up here. I've got one more question for you that all of my guests receive here on the show. Goal Set Mindset podcast is centered around pursuing high achievement with passion, perseverance, and performance. I would love if you can share a personal goal that you have right now and how you're working towards it. 
personal goal, uh, to be honest with you, my only personal goal right now is to not drown <laughs> in this uh, newborn baby stage. So I'm just trying nice. to maintain everything possible on my business. I'm, I'm not even overly worried about stuff like dramatically growing. I'm just trying to keep up with my current workload. And uh, that's not an impressive goal, but there are certain times in life where you can push really hard. And there are certain times in life where you have to just be grateful for what you have and be okay, not pushing quite as hard. And I'm in the don't push quite as hard on, on some of my business stuff. So um, some of my businesses I'm pushing harder. Some of them I'm kicking down a little bit. And that's yeah. what I'm right now. Hey, that's awesome. My favorite answer so I guess to my that goal question. Is to be, my goal is to be a decent dad more than a business owner. Right yes. Now. I'm sure you are doing a wonderful job at it. Your little guy is so cute. And um, no, I appreciate those answers more than anything else. Cause it's, it's true. It's real. Sometimes we're in phases of life. You've been grinding for, I don't know how old you are, but a long time now, 15, 20 plus years of, of practicing as a coach and PT. Um, so, Hey, you deserve time to, to coast a little bit and enjoy <laughs> the, enjoy the fruits of your labor. Yeah. So, uh, Zach, for those of you, or for the listeners on the show who want to reach out to you, connect with you, um, maybe some who don't follow you already, can you just let listeners know what the best way is to kind of follow you and, um, learn from you? So the best way to learn from me is the barbellphysio.com or the PT on ice daily show podcast. Um, which is probably where you're going to get the most in-depth stuff. So I say that instead of saying like my social media stuff first, because on social media, you just get like a snippet. You get one little piece of information. And I'd rather people go listen to a long podcast where I talk about a certain topic, or I'd rather them go read a full article, but that's not the day and age that we live in anymore. So hey, start with the website, am... but more realistically, go to Instagram and look at the barbell physio. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All of that will be in the show notes. Um, I could not speak more highly of the PT on Ice Daily Show. Big fan. So, Zach, thank you so, so much for your time tonight. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, I know listeners are going to get a lot out of this one. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Goal Set Mindset Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Zach Long and learned a thing or two about pushing yourself beyond your perceived limitations and helping others to do the same. If you're enjoying the show, I would love if you went over to your favorite platform and left a rating or review so I can help reach more people like you. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, we will be back next week with another episode.